Men don't feel confident to be men. They weren't taught. More so, they were taught to be the opposite. That masculinity itself is something to be ashamed of. Where is this solid confidence within a lot of these females to just, you know, look a guy in the eyes? Sexual connection seems to just be dying. And through three years of social isolation, you've been forced to mask, jab up, lock down. It's really the crux, it's really the key of what masculine to feminine social dynamics is, which is that I'm a man, you're a woman, let's see if we connect. <laughs> Welcome, my friends, to the Bordeaux Podcast. It's been a long time, and I welcome you back. I hope you've been living well. Today, we're going to talk about what the hell happened to dating, what's happening to our society of young people that are choosing not to get into relationships, not to date, not to have sex, not to have kids, not to get married or live in fulfilling, meaningful relationships, whatever that might look like for you. It's something that's very worrying, and I'm sure you've all been, if you're tuned into the space of social dynamics and the dating sphere and just general podcasting land, you've been seeing a lot of content coming up recently because I certainly have been on the declining birth rate. And I think this is really interesting because if you were to step out into the random street on South Australia here, it wouldn't seem and it wouldn't appear that there's a declining birth rate. There's a lot of kids popping around, especially uh, here in Australia. However, I think it's a bit of a ticking time bomb and I don't think it's a time bomb that people don't realize is going to completely alter the way society functions because the babies that are happening right now are from people of my generation and older. I don't see anyone at university, let's say, and for those of you that are wondering why we've taken such a long break off of the podcast and largely just general content production other than on my free email newsletter, which comes out once every second week, roughly, the bowl sip, go ahead and sign up to that at bowldojo.com, link down below, it's all for free. And that's where I've been updating my hardcore audience on what's been going on in my life. And yeah, if you didn't know, I've returned back to uni as a mature age student, diving into the psychological field, studying a Bachelor of Psychological Science, uh, eventually moving into what I hope to be psychotherapy and childhood development, really diving into the, the depths of expanding my skill set as a social dynamic practitioner to be able to help people of a much younger age and also their parents. We'll get to that much later on. I'm sure that'll pop up to do with the trauma I've been seeing in young males between 18 to 40. You know, I have clients that are very close to 40. I have clients that are around the mid thirties. I have clients that are, I don't have too many clients between 18 to 22 anymore. I used to, but no more, I'm a little bit older now, you know, mid twenties and above, I would say is characterized, characterizes most of my uh, clientele, but I've been seeing a lot of issues in that space. So I'm putting up everything here for today. There's many things I want to discuss. I want to tell you about what I've seen the abomination of what is termed social dynamics in the uni setting, in the uni ecology of where, because I have the benefit of comparison, having once been to uni many, 10 years ago or so, uh, studying a Bachelor of Media as I was first getting into professional photography and videography, specializing in portrait, fashion and body. I went to uni for a year and I, so I know what uni should be like. And what I've seen in these last three months in my first semester is nothing short of disgraceful absolutely disgraceful so maybe we'll just kick off there so keep things tying into the main and I'll, just before we do just i'm glad to be here with you guys i'm glad to be with you if you're wondering why i took such a long period of time off it's because i just want to get my head wrapped around is this uni thing for me is this really what i want to do and i need to give all my energy to this and i can safely say it is absolutely what i want to do and i've achieved very high scores uh nothing short of high distinctions and basically everything that i've done so far so anyways that being said Keeping tied into the macro idea of today's podcast, it's going to be centered on what I think is happening to the dating scene, what I think is happening to young people, because I've got a really good 
a live wire to it. I've got a live touch to it because I get to interact with 18-year-olds, 18 to 22-year-olds, I would say, is the general demographic at my particular uni here in South Australia. And so what I've just said off the bat, you know, on day day one, day one I went to this you know, information session for the psychological science cohort and yeah, it is roughly 85% female to 15% male. So let's say that from the beginning. And what I saw was that people in their first year, these 18-year-olds that have just, and for context, if you're an 18-year-old in 2023, it means that COVID began when 2015, sorry, 2015, when you were 15, 15 to 16 years old, three years later, you've been through three years of social isolation. You've been forced to mask. You've been forced to jab up, lock down. You've been forced to treat people as if they are the enemy that you're not supposed to talk to your neighbor, you're not supposed to get close to people, 1.5 meter social distancing. And I knew as a social dynamics coach, the moment that these, uh, what proved to be completely, not just unnecessary, but in many cases, detrimental, extremely detrimental mandates, health mandates, which actually, I think, corrupted health more. You know, because we found out in the end that actually the best place to be during the pandemic was at the beach, not in your not in your house, right? Maybe you don't want to have your tongue down another person's throat, but you can still be around we know the importance of community. You know, how many silent deaths have happened since then because people feel like they lost their connection to not only their purpose in life, but their community, the people around them, etc. Beyond that, we just knew that even just wearing a mask, that the covering up of your primary broadcaster of emotion was never going to be a good thing. Particularly, and we're going to see those on facts. I'm sure that's going to be onward effects are going to happen to the younger, even younger generations. I'm sure that the zero to three-year-olds that were masked up for three years and seeing people with masks are going to be even more heavily affected as time goes on. Because I'm already seeing it. And what I'm seeing is that with the 18-year-olds that rocked up in uni for this first semester, these last three months or so, they just don't know how to talk. <laughs> they just, they don't know how to talk. They don't know how to start friendships. They don't know how to, I'm give you some examples. In the first ever lecture that I went to, where there's maybe three, 400 people or whatever, because it's the first couple of weeks and everyone's got their high motivation levels, everyone's coming to it. Everyone is afraid to put up a hand. Everyone is afraid to look at another person. Now, it's normal to have early jitters. I get that. But I remember when I went to uni, you, whoever you sat down next to, you became friends with that person. You shook their hand, you said, my name's Adam, and then you guys go off and you exchange your timetables and you exchange social media details and that's it. And what I found was that it's not that that wasn't happening at all, it's just it was happening on such a low level that it was rare, that it was rare to find someone who was socially confident enough to just look at you. It's like, I'll, I'll go into these lecture theaters and everyone keeps their 1.5. People are sitting, unless there was like a mutual friend, people are sitting two seats away from each other. And a lot of the times the lecturers or the um, professors were encouraging people to not only come closer to the front of the room, everyone wants to sit at the back of the room, not because they're absolute G's that are, just, you know, sitting at the back of the bus type kids. No, just because they're afraid. They're afraid to be close to people. They're afraid to be near people. They're afraid to look at people. This just, it, it, was, it was very strange to me to see this going on because I'm like, this is just not the way I remember you. And then things got even worse. And this is how it got worse. It's normal, I would say, in the first few weeks for this guys stick to guys, girls stick to girls type behavior where you see back in primary school where all the guys sit on the same end of the class and all the girls 
as if everyone's got cooties, sits on the other side of the class, and it's all over this you know, nervous awkwardness. But I found that the prevalence of masculine to feminine dynamics had just, it was non-existent. It was non-existent. It wasn't even just that people were a little bit nervous for the first couple of weeks. Over the next three months, what you would find is that unless they were mutual friends by some other way, like they had connections from high school, I didn't see a single approach. I didn't see a single, not only did I not see a single approach, and I'll get more into that later, you know, a cold social dynamic approach, even though it's not really cold. It's very hard to consider a cold when you're at uni. It's more lukewarm because you're all doing the same course. So you have a lot of ins. You have a lot of, oh, you're doing, my name's Adam. I'm doing psychology as well. It's a very easy open. All right, we can talk more about the cold social dynamics of it later or social dynamics later. But just to see and witness a true masculine to feminine dynamic within those first years, uh, the first years, was just wasn't there. I just didn't see it, which was really weird to me because I remember back when I was going to uni when back in 2013 or so that you see that all the time. You see guys approaching girls all the time. Not at all, not at all. And if we can speak to the girls for a second, girls used to dress way more provocatively. And I mean that in an enticing way. I don't mean that necessarily in just like trashy way. I mean in a way in which is seductive, it's alluring, it's inviting for men to come and approach them. And I'm now extending my review, my analysis here to the entire university, not just the psychological cohort, but those that are also, because I would say that typically the most attractive girls at uni are going to be studying the movement-based courses. Those are the girls that did PE in year 11 and 12, typically going to be a lot fitter. And not to say that there aren't attractive girls in other cohorts, but that's what I, that was my experience and that's what I was expecting. And it was also true. Uh, when I went to uni this year, yeah, yeah, girls doing human movement, um, biomechanics of any kind, you know, any kind of physical therapy. Those are typically the most attractive girls. And even those girls, like it was very hard. It was very rare to find a girl that had dressed herself up. Even though at uni, that was a my previous notion of that. And then some people might think, oh, that's really old fashioned. Adam girls need to dress up to get a guy's attention. I see, but there's my problem with that. My problem with that, it's a say, it goes both ways. It's not just with girls, it's with guys as well. My problem is that there's no effort being put in, which indicates that there's a shift in the psychology, in the perception around what it means to attract a mate, to attract a partner. And it's not just that there's this, don't get the wrong idea. It's not just because they believe, and the young kids coming up today believe that, oh, well, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't matter how I look and just body positivity, and you know, et cetera. It's not that. It's just a lack of desire to meet anyone. That was my overall, if you just want to like cap this first part of the podcast, there was just a lack of desire from men to meet women and from women to meet men. And you would think that that would just be for the first couple of weeks getting over the early jitters. No, this persisted over the entire three months that I've been at uni now, over the first semester. And let me dive in a little bit deeper here to what I, what I think was happening, where I think this is coming from. I think if you were to go from being a 15-year-old, which is roughly you're just starting to get used to puberty. You know, I know I know that the science is saying now that puberty is starting a lot earlier and there's a lot of ecological factors that could be happening as a result of that, uh, as could be giving birth to that, no pun intended, but not necessarily positive factors. You know, maybe some things in the water, in the drinking water, so to speak. Anyways, you know, I'm talking about toxins, etc. But... It's safe to say that puberty is happening earlier. 
So let's say that these 15-year-olds have had a couple of years to get used to this thing. Hormones are definitely starting to rage at this point. And then you go through three years of social isolation and just the world pandemic, et cetera. And then you get thrusted into this situation where it's no longer just the people that you went to high school with. Now it's all kinds of different people and there's people of different ages as well. You get exposed to the second years and the third years and those doing their PhDs, et cetera, uh, much older. I think it was a... I think there was a misconception of how much these kids would be damaged. That's really what I'm trying to say here is that there's such a high level of damage to what social dynamics should be. And this is the thing, my friends, which is that the principles of masculine to feminine dynamics of sexually polarized human connection, it's not something that's passed through the DNA. It's not in the bloodstream. It's a culture. It's something that has to be passed down from mouth to mouth, heart to heart. If your older brothers or your older friends didn't teach you what it means to take care of a woman, to be emotionally empathetic, to have the kindness, the compassion, the care, to understand where another person has come from, to be able to manage the sexual pace, right, the heat of an interaction, like all the all the things that people of my age who are 30 and above, I'm almost 30, and maybe a couple of years younger than me, anyone who's born in the 90s essentially, Anyone, that, anyone in that age range would just know intuitively that never ever had to be taught or verbally directly, which is unless you were in that, you know, nuanced based, just dickhead group, I guess you could say, that who was on purposely trying to have his way with women. But most guys intuitively understand when they've overstepped the line, when they're, and I don't mean that in like a rapey way, I just mean that maybe they just, uh, they went to kiss her and she wasn't quite ready for the kiss yet and they back it up, they went to hold her hand, she wasn't quite ready for it, back it up, right? They understand that there is a dance to be had. Sometimes girls will play hard to get and sometimes girls will reject the kiss in a playful way, reject the uh, the extra, extra long hug in a playful way and say, try a little bit harder, stupid. And, you know, they're doing it in a fun way and they're creating a dance there. Like all these little micro social dynamics of sexual progression was never really something that you had to be taught. It was not something that you had to watch a YouTube video on. It's something that you just learned because you went out and met girls. You went out and met people. You went out and practiced the dance of masculine to feminine sexual polarization. I don't think that's happened in the last three years for anyone who's in their first year of uni this year. I, I just... The, there's so many direct indicators of that, but there's also so many indirect indicators of that. Indirect indicators being that... I don't think... I think maybe on a one hand of all the... And you guys know me being a social dynamics coach. I went to town. I went to town meeting as many people as I possibly could in these first three months just to get a really good idea. It was my own market research. It was, own, it was my own research project just to see what the level of social dynamics was like in uni. And I think I maybe on on one hand, maybe like with three fingers, I could have told you that I met three guys that are attractive males. And I don't just mean that in terms of physically. I think there were a lot of physically attractive males uh, uni, particularly those doing more of the uh, movement-based courses. But even in my own cohort, there was there were attractive physical, physically attractive males, but not energetically. Not energetically. What I remember that is, I don't feel a lot of strong masculine energy. I don't feel a lot of that. If I was a woman, what I would be looking for in a masculine partner, you know, someone who can hold really direct eye contact, someone that can stay present, someone that can hold concentration, concentrated energy. 
concentration in general has gone out the window. Like when I'm sitting in tutorials and we're in, you know, which is like a smaller group and you've got 20, 30 people and you've got one tutor there, people are so distracted. Like they can't even hold more than five minutes of straight concentration of listening. They're on their phones, they're on their TikTok, they're on their Snapchat. Uh, they're playing around, they're diving back and forward between different browsers. And it's, it's like I'm, I'm there going like, what is wrong with you people? <laughs> it's like, wow. It's like, who's, whose problem is this? Whose fault is this? It's got to be a combination of both, right? Society and the individual. But I digress. Moving back to the point here, which is that I didn't feel a lot of strong masculine energy. So you can see a bit of a divergent split here. Is it, is it the men's fault or is it the male's fault or is it the, the female's fault here as to why sexual connection seems to just be dying and just falling by the wayside. I think both parties have a part to play, a part to play. What I saw, like, so I'm giving you an idea of what I saw against the men, just to categorize that. Lack, lacking in masculine energy, I don't imagine any of these guys know how to approach a woman. If, if we were to, like this is the thing, is that even going to the uni bar, there's a bar on campus, most of the males there are in the upper years, you know, second, early, late second, third years and above. But you won't see many first years there. And I don't think that's a mistake. I don't think that's a coincidence. But if I was to take, a, let's say, 100 of the more attractive guys, just say that they have average social dynamics, they're not you know, mentally challenged, they're not severely disabled when it comes to social dynamics, and I was to take them out uh, on a program at a night, hit the strip, go to different venues, different clubs, et cetera, different bars, I don't think any of them would have the confidence sober and, and I would fashion a guess that maybe even intoxicated would have the confidence, nor forget about the wherewithal, forget about the actual acuity of skill when it comes to social dynamics, when we talk about your 50, when we talk about your intent, eye contact, vocal tonality, projection, body language, and vibe. You know, forget about that stuff. I'm just talking about the sheer will to go up and meet a woman. I don't... Th- that's how bad it is. Like that's that's the problem that I'm discussing with you here is that it's that bad that I don't even, I think there's a couple guys that I know and those are the guys that I gravitated towards more that I think would be okay, that I think naturally could go out and meet an attractive woman. And why is, why is this important? Why am I mentioning this? And why am I hopping on this? It's because I think if I can't meet and if I can't even see, so obviously I can't meet every single person on campus, but if I can't even see a display, like a general display of masculine energy in which that if I was a woman and if, or if I had a daughter, that this is what I would want to be involved with, this is what I would want to be putting myself out there for, that's a big problem. It's a huge problem. Now, you obviously don't want to go too far of it. You don't want to be, you don't want to be chauvinistic. You don't want to be... Uh, you know, a toxic display of masculinity. I'm not talking about like being these these jocks that are just walking around like dicks. I'm talking about guys that are just like the strong, like strong energy, strong eyes, you know, can hold a qualifying conversation, can infuse a bit of heat, a bit of friction, that don't just agree with absolutely everything that you say. They're not Mr. Nice Guys. They're not trying to please you endlessly. They're not super needy for your validation and your attachment, Your uh, for you to be attached to them and your just general presence of whatever you're doing is okay. You know, that approval seeking nature. The fact that that's normal, like that's what I'm seeing the most of. I'm seeing guys that are really just, they're just scared. I'm just seeing a lot of masculine energy that's just very scared. 
I'm don't, I just want, I don't want to be too hyperbolic here and say that that's every guy at uni. It's definitely not. It's what I'm saying is that it's the majority, and that is where the problem is. So if we can put that to the side now, and now we cross over what I'm seeing with girls. I think in the first week, first of two weeks, and because you guys know, well, if you're a regular follower of my Bolsip email article, um, my partner Haley, very supportive, extremely supportive. She actually came over with me. Uh, a couple of months ago, not even a couple months ago, about a month and a half ago to Melbourne, uh, not to Melbourne, she came to Sydney with me as I was running a program, in-person training, emergent social dynamics. And she's uh, she actually got approached. She actually got approached. I can't wait to, we'll talk about that later. We'll talk about this later. I want to dive into that. But where am I going with this? Where I'm going with this is she's very supportive of my endeavor to understand social dynamics at uni and to see what's happening amongst the younger generation. So I tell her about all my experiences. I tell her about all the different girls that I meet at uni, et cetera. And in those first two weeks, I was giving her like daily updates, daily reports on what kind of girls I'm seeing. And I just kept saying to her how, I don't know what's happening here, but I just can't, I'm finding it really hard to find a hot girl. <laughs> like I'm finding it really hard to find an attractive girl at this uni campus. And I don't mean that in terms of like physically. I don't mean that in terms of uh, how they're presenting themselves you know, their body shape and their dress, their fashion, their makeup, etc. There was there was a lot less. I say that right there. I think I said that at the beginning of the podcast. There was a lot less uh, females that were, as I said, dressing provocatively, seductively, kind of uh, exposing their beauty. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to sound like some guy from the 1950s and thinking that girls have to walk around with push-up bras and uh, short miniskirts. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about. Uh, girls that are okay with their fi- like not just okay that are confident in their figures willing to show that and are walking with that energy and that's what I'm more concerned with in this podcast I'm not concerned with whether a girl showing a, a ton of cleavage and all of her legs and having her butt hanging out that's not what I'm talking about what I'm talking about is walking with supreme feminine confidence you know walking with walking with the idea in mind that you know, um, for the for those that are single, that you know, I'm single woman. I love me. I'm happy with me. And if you guys want to take a crack, have a crack. But you're gonna have to meet a high bar. You know, this kind of confidence, in which is that what you would expect of a man. Like the the similar social dynamic power that one would hold that would represent that I am good within myself and I'm whole within myself that I can carry a conversation. I can sit down with someone and discern whether this is going to be something sexually polarized or just something that is mutually beneficial as uh, platonic or if not at all and just say actually you know what i don't really jive with you and that's okay let's move on you know having your own principles having your own way of life your way of being pretty obsolete i would say quintessentially obsolete to today's podcast to the degree in which that i just didn't see it just didn't see it and i just kept saying Okay, okay, okay. I didn't see it amongst anyone roughly within that age group of 18 to 22. There were older females, you know, girls that look like they're in their third year or studying their masters who are more so younger women at that point or getting towards their mid-20s. And I would, those girls were able to hold eye contact. And I remember this was something I said to Haley, which is that, like, especially being someone who's studying uh, psychological science, that the cohort is mostly female. It's 85% female. And they're just so afraid. <laughs> just so afraid. Like so afraid to look a guy in the eyes, to, to look at him in the eyes. And you can see like, because you guys know, this is something that girls and guys do as well, which is that 
you know when you've been looking at someone and then they realize that you that you were looking at them and now you know that they know right you can either be a grown-up about it and you can just go over there and say hi or or give them an indicator of solid eye contact to encourage him to come say hi to you or you can keep pretending that that oh no he doesn't really know that i like him or that i was looking at him you know childhood games primary school games Where's the maturity is what I'm saying and where is this solid confidence within a lot of these females to just, you know, look a guy in the eyes, you know, to give him those indirect indicators that I would be open to uh, something going down here, something happening here. That was very non-existent, tremendously non-existent and it goes both ways. So I can't really speak on the feminine part as to why I think that's happening within them. I'm sure I can, I can throw up conjecture, I can throw up social media, I can throw up uh, false expectations, unrealistic ideals of what beauty is. We can look into all those things and I'm sure it all plays a part. I'm sure mental health has been absolutely taken an absolute beating as has for females as has for males. You know, it goes both ways here and this is just what I'm seeing. And so at the end of it, when we boil all of this section of the podcast down, why do I think dating is failing and why I think dating has just completely died is because men don't feel confident to be men. They weren't taught. More so, they were taught to be the opposite. That masculinity itself is something to be ashamed of. It's something that you have to really keep in check and it has to be, uh, it has to be red paper. It has to, it has to be so signing on the dotted line. It has to be contracts. It has to be this passive, super passive way of going about interacting in which that, no, don't say your true intent. Don't tell a girl that you like her. Don't don't grab her hand unless she tells you that you can. You know, it's like that type of just, what would you say, spading? Just the, the neutering, the neutering of masculine energy from the populace. I see it, it's so rife. It is so intensely rife. And going back to what I said before, all I need to know is, and take that wild guess, it's more wild wildly accurate estimation how many of these males that i'm seeing at university could i take into a club tonight and that would be okay to go and meet people on their own doesn't necessarily mean just sexually polarized interactions although that is very important it can be also just general interaction go make friends of other guys go talk to the bartenders go talk to the coat check go talk to the security guards have a great time can you have fun can you have fun doing it will you be an absolute mess will you be a psychological breakdown of a mess in a situation like that where you have to go interact with cold strangers sober, sober, no liquid courage, no pill courage, courage, no pill courage, just you, just riding on you. It's, it's really scary how far masculine energy has fallen, has fallen. And it's a really, it's revelating in many ways. It's revelating because as a social dynamics coach who spent the last, since 2015, coaching social dynamics, I knew what the trajectory was. I knew it was a downward spiral. I knew that men, boys weren't being taught to be men. I knew that a lot of these kids coming up, whether they were 16 at the time, now 22 or 20, they'd been influenced in a certain way, whether it's be on one of the extremes, either the extreme of extremely passive or an extreme of extremely aggressive aggressive in the sense of being angry at women being angry at feminine dynamics and it became a battle it became a battle of men versus women like i knew that that was where things were headed but i just didn't i don't think i ever saw and i don't think many people ever saw i think maybe there was someone i didn't see things getting this bad i didn't think i would get to a point where i could say okay now actually my job is more important than ever it's like young males need instructional courses from 
the moment they enter high school now on what it means to use their masculine energy, to be proud of it, to step into it, to own it, to own being themselves, to be okay with disagreeing, to be okay with creating conflict as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. And I don't mean that in a sense of uh, being an arsehole for the sake of being an arsehole. I'm talking about being willing to just say, this is my opinion and it's okay if you don't agree. Hey, being able to say to a girl, listen, I think you're this type of girl and I'm getting this kind of vibe from you and it's okay if she doesn't agree. This is how I feel about you because actually it's that willingness to speak your mind and speak who you are. It shows that you're outcome independent. It shows that you're external validation independent, that you're okay within yourself and that, of course, you apply those empathy principles. You apply those principles of authenticity and wish that you make a mistake, you own it, you step too far, you step back. Right, you listen to the person in front of you, you have care for them, like all of these principles, all building in. And we talk about supreme excellence here on this podcast for a long, long time. Purpose, physical, mental, social development, transcended by your inner knowing, your inner nature, connection to it all. Your principles of being made direct, congruent, authentic with empathy. Human principles, all these principles. This is stuff that needs to be taught. I can see it's like it's a real problem that is not being taught from their interpersonal relationships, that it seems quite apparent that the younger generation that is supposed to be responsible for the next generation of people building society, whether it be engineers, like literally, or whether it be like building our societal health, whether it be personal trainers, doctors, therapists, whatever it's going to be, the people that are instructing our next generation of art, of creativity, every single aspect of society, I will say in the next if it doesn't change in the next 10 to 15 years, is going to be something meek. Like, that's what I'm saying. It's meek. It's meek and it's dull and it's just, it's shame. It seems shameful. It seems shameful that males have forgotten what it means to be male. And then wrapping that up, I think that, I think it's a very uninspiring climate for a young woman entering university this year of 2023, I think it's extremely uninspiring that when you look at a guy that he's not willing to look at you back, that when you see a guy that you like and you wonder why isn't he approaching me and it's most likely because, well, she probably doesn't know, but he's giving off the energy that it's not okay to do so, that if I was to do so, then I would be reprimanded by uh, colleagues, friends, family, people in larger society. It's like, actually, no, actually not. Actually, the way that men and women have been procreating and furthering the genealogical uh, lineage throughout our entire evolutionary development as human beings has been a direct result of men approaching women, <laughs> of men saying that, I like you, my name is, how you going? How are you? As Australian and as uh, caveman and rudimentary as that is, that is really all there is to it in the sense of instigating and inspiring a relationship. Of course, there is much more to be had in terms of uh, navigating, whether it's a cold interaction, the open qualification investment clothes, et cetera. It's a little bit more nerdy social dynamics. But moving on into your actual relationship dynamics when it comes to an open relationship or an exclusive monogamous relationship, navigating all those things, conflict management once you're in relationships, goals, desires, alignment, life journey alignment. You know, we can go on for days and days here. We can talk about expectations, boundaries, talking about your values and learning to communicate, right? Learning human principles. Yes, there's a whole fascinating depth and body of literature you could research on that. I would say that that's largely unnecessary. I would say that you could do most of your research by going outside of your door and meeting someone. 
by leaving your bedroom, entering a bar, seeing the first girl and saying, hi, my name's Adam. You look kind of cute tonight. I want to say hi. You look really interesting. I had to say hi. You're a little bit intriguing. I'm not entirely sure what it is, but I had to come over here. My name's Adam. Yeah. You look very sexy. I couldn't deny it. What's going on? Whether well, I'm giving you a different array there of whether it's sexually polarized, not so sexually polarized, direct versus indirect. At this point, there used to be a huge battle in social dynamics between direct and indirect. I think direct won in the end, but nevertheless, it's something is better than nothing at this point is what I'm attempting to convey to all of you, which is that indirect is not even happening where guys are doing their bullshit pickup lines and bullshit magic lines and going oh here look guess and guess one number between zero and ten divided by three and times it by five. Oh, i bet it's 13 you know whatever like, oh did you do you know these stupid jokes like <laughs> do you know um do you know how they create seedless watermelons i don't i don't know how they create seedless watermelons but apparently it's a very good indirect opener apparently according to some people back in the 90s anyways that's not even happening. Not even those stupid attempts at people doing indirect stuff like, oh, do you know what the weather is today? Do you know what time it is today? Do you know what your size of shoe is? You know, even that's not happening. Not that I'd recommend it, but even that's not happening. And that is in and of itself a huge problem, massive problem. And which means that direct interactions are, there's something of a rare gemstone. There's something of a earth-grown sapphire that you have to hike days and days into the recesses of the earth to find it's really scary and i think where i was beginning this entire point was was with if i was a female i'd be extremely uninspired and i don't think that's only male's fault but it's remains to be said remains to be said so that would might give us some theoretical hypothesization of how maybe why girls aren't dressing themselves up, why girls aren't engaging themselves in the dance and trying to play that role of the the uh, the pursued. You know, the the pursuer and the pursued, they each have their own roles. The masculine has its role, the feminine has its role. The feminine is supposed to be alluring and enticing, right? That is how we've always developed and grown, and that's how I think intuitively we all feel because now if we could step into a little bit more of the professional side of things, on the professional side of things, just cracking this water bottle open, on the professional side of things, sorry if that was very loud. Now that I've covered what the uni experience has been like, on the professional side of things, I've still been doing my work. I'm still working with clients from Australia, from across the world, mostly across the world in different countries, predominantly in the US, different age ranges between anywhere between 18 to 40, but scaling more towards the older end, you know, between mid twenties to 40. And my clients are steamrolling ahead and they're dominating. They're absolutely dominating. And they're finding things out that I didn't even think they would ever have to find out, which is that one of my clients said to me a few weeks ago that I approached a couple of girls at a bar and they just didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> They just didn't know what to do with it. They didn't know how to react because I just don't think they've ever been approached before. And it's almost like we're going in this reverse cycle. It's like, or maybe we're just going back to the beginning of the cycle in which that there was a period where no woman had ever been approached in the day by a cold stranger who wasn't a charity seller. Someone who's trying to get them into a restaurant, like a, a promoter of some kind uh, or a homeless person. And then it was roughly in the... Um, early to late 
like 2000 to 2005, 2010, that's when the whole day, if you want to call it day game, which I don't resonate with those terms anymore, but day social dynamics was first born and became very popular because yeah, most women have never experienced it before or not in their generation experienced it. Although I know if you go back to like the 50s and the 60s, men approaching women was a very normal thing, like in, wherever you were, where it was in, at the supermarket, um, you know, at, a, at a festival, at a fair, etc. But it had been lost for some period of time and now it seems to have been lost again and it's like we're kind of having to relearn it. Uh, but even just tonight interaction, you know, a lot of my clients are involved in something, a bit of a switch I've had to make. A bit of a switch I've had to make as a social dynamics coach in realizing the social climate and that there's actually way more benefit now in night training than there ever has been. You know, I used to, if you go back to like early, early podcasts, I was predominantly day training for the most part. But then as I developed as a coach, what I started to realize is that actually, if you want to transcend the clock face of social dynamics, which is the skill development of social dynamics, and going from being someone who's at the very top of the clock face, 12 o'clock, which is unconsciously incompetent, which means you don't even know what you don't even know, you're so bad, you don't even know what you know you're bad at. And then you transcend that clock all the way around from you know 12 to 3, that first quarter being unconsciously incompetent to consciously incompetent. And then from 3 to 6, being consciously incompetent to now consciously competent. You know, to go through that and to step most importantly into the range of conscious competence, which would be from 6 p.m. until 9 p.m. and then unconsciously competent to be fully developed as a social being, 9 to 12, you have to incorporate night training. And it's just become more and more apparent. And the the reason why I give this to you is because in the day, there is not nearly as much of a pressure on your emotional skill. In the day, it's predominantly focused on your social skill, right? Your ability to open qualification investment close, your ability to uh, maintain your intent, eye contact, vocal projection, tonality, body language, vibe, et cetera, all that stuff, but all in a very nice, calm situation. Very calm, nothing interrupting you, no one interrupting you. You have all the time in the world in between interactions. No one's out here to socialize anyway, so it's not like even if I didn't approach someone it's not like i'm going to get pulled up on it's not like i look weird because i'm not talking to people or because i'm not with other people it's a very chill environment but then at night it's complete opposite at night not only are you entering a venue in which that it's predetermined that you are here to socialize so if you're not socializing with someone you look weird if you're not with people you look weird and if you're not drinking or doing some other form of uh, stimulation then you are weird Weird in its very classical sense that you're not part of the group. You're not in the in group here. And so a lot of fear is inspired. But not, you do notice that all the fear inspired by all those things I just mentioned didn't even have anything to do with interacting with one person to a competent level. It didn't have anything to do with your social skill. It had everything to do with your emotional skill. This is what I'm trying to point out towards you here is that in day training, you are predominantly training social skill. It's not that you're not training any form of emotional skill. It's just not a particularly emphasized criteria. But then when you step over into night training, it flips. You can have very rudimentary, very unrefined social skill at night. But if you have rock solid emotional skill, your confidence in yourself, your ability to just enjoy the moment, to be connected to the presence of things, to just have fun, to have fun for the sake of having fun, that that in and of itself almost becomes the social skill because Doing those things and being that way enables you to go speak to the the fat guy who was the first person you saw when you entered the venue, but then he ended up having three or four really cute friends that he was out with on the night. 
you go speak to them and then all of a sudden as you're getting a drink you speak to see some girl just rocking up and she's got a giant backpack inside of a club you don't know why and you start grilling her on that she starts laughing up she introduces to her friend and then now all of a sudden you're just from interaction to interaction and you're never trying to do social dynamics you're just trying to have fun and just talk to people of course that situation would never arise in the day and what you're seeing there is someone who can just go with the flow, just have fun with things, no pressure, no expectation, right? The feeling of being connected to yourself is far more weighted and emphasized when you go out and you train in the night. So that's why for all my clients, we still do both day and night training, but we use the different environments and the different arenas when I'm drawing up their action plans and their action blocks, if it is, or whatever program, social dynamics that they're on, social dynamics that they're on, that I will discern between the different environments to train what we need to train. You know, I've got many clients that don't do any form of day training whatsoever and no form of social training whatsoever. It's all emotional. It's all because they just freak out about having to be self-reliant when it comes to their own love, peace, and joy, when it comes to their ability to embrace that it's okay, that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to realize it's a journey, it's a process, to, as a sober person, enter a non-sober environment and to get on the same emotional wavelength as everyone else. It's okay. It's okay to have a five-second interaction. It's not the end of the world that if you went up to a group of girls and said, you know, what's going on? Had to come say something. My name's Adam. My name's Jay. My name's Sam. That they go, ah, okay, that's cool. Anyways, and they give you the cold shoulder. That's okay. It's like, that's okay. There's one interaction, one minuscule moment that is actually feeding you energy regardless of the outcome. You know, as long as you didn't give off any extremely uncalibrated social dynamic cue, and so it was warranted that you got given the cold shower, the cold shower, the cold shoulder, that it, actually it's a good thing. It's all a good thing. Even if you did tremendously fuck it up, it's still a good thing. You still learn. But most importantly, it's all energy back to you. It's all energy back into this hybrid system in which that your own momentum feeds you energy. Right? Just taking action feeds you emotional energy and spurs you on into the next, which is what so many people don't understand about training social dynamics at night, which is that you don't have to get onto the same level as these, pe these party people. Because they will take you there anyway. And what that is to say is that start talking to people and it starts to feed itself, right? The process takes care of you is what I'm essentially saying there. The process is what takes care of you in the end. If you can just embrace having fun with it all. Anyways, so we've gone into some real, I can reckon really, this is what I love about podcasts. It's been so long. I'm just having a great time. I hope you guys are having a great time. Uh, it just feeds itself. The podcast feeds itself as well. So I think what I was, the major section of this podcast, what I'm talking about here is what I'm seeing in a professional sense. And I know as I knew where we were going with this and we went into completely different tangents. I'm going to bring it back right here, which is what I'm seeing is that my clients are dominating in ways that you wouldn't expect. They're dominating in ways that, it's almost becoming effortless, effortless that people want to talk to them, that people want to be in interactions with them. What I'm trying to say there, I guess, is that the bar is very low. <laughs> the bar is very low because when I say that my client, a lot of my clients are dominating, it's not because their social skill and emotional skill is so high level. It's not because they're all unconsciously competent and they're just, you know, some of them are, right? But not the majority. That's a very much a small sliver of the cohort of the... Of the, uh, of the roster, you will say, but 
what I'm saying is that because there are so many more white belts out there, a brown belt looks pretty pretty special, like more special than, than ever. A purple belt looks more special than ever when most people are just white belting out there. Actually, that's not even fair. Most people don't even have a belt. Most guys, how about this? How about this? Let's, yeah, let's, let's dive into this. So about a month and a half ago or so, I traveled across Australia for two separate weekends, a part of the same program in what I refer to as the immersion social dynamics. So I have various training modalities, various training programs, depending on what you're trying to develop, whether it's purely social skill, whether it's purely emotional skill, combination of the both, and also taking into account your particular unique set of problems, whether that's limiting beliefs, negative self-perceptions, egoic attachments, and designing a program for that. So immersion social dynamics is a minimum back-to-back two weekends either in the same city or split across multiple cities. So this client that I've been working with, I don't think I need to go too much into his backstory here because that's not really what I'm trying to get to and I know it's going to take me on a major tangent. But all I need to say is that he was already socially competent. He did not possess the emotional skill to use those social skills. And this is what's so key is that if you take that analogy, we're trying to build a bridge here. You're trying, if you're trying to build a bridge across this river, you need to get to the tools. But if the tools are constantly locked and you can never get into the shed to bring out the tools to go work on the bridge, then it doesn't matter what amazing tools you have in that shed because you never have access to them. And what is to be said there and what that's portraying is that you can be an amazing person when it comes to actual socializing, but if you never have the emotional confidence and rigor and gold within you to be able to go and use it, to actually go and meet someone, to be able to meet someone in an emotional state that is conducive to fun, to joy, to the loving experience, then it doesn't matter how good you may be because it never gets realized. And that's what something that I found in this client of mine, we call him X, X found of himself. Very good, very, very good with women, particularly when he allows himself to be, but it's so far and few between, we need to get in there and do some immersion social dynamics. There's only so much you can train with Skype coaching. And I love Skype coaching and Skype coaching particularly for uh, helping people to unravel and troubleshoot problems and traumas from the past and repairing their relationships, not only with others, but with themselves. I love that. But when it comes to this type of thing, there is something that only in-person training can achieve. And it is literally just seeing someone else do what you're attempting to do. You can go out there and do all the solo work you want. But until you actually see someone who has proficiency, that has mastery over what you're attempting to do, it not only is just the motivational factor that it's possible because this person's human, which means that I'm human, I can do it as well, you know, that association. But it's also that it's not nearly as difficult as you think it is. You're making it more difficult because that is the nature of who you are. That's why you're here. You would not be here having these problems with your emotional skill if you were already able to overcome them. You need to be pushed into the light, so to speak. Not that I could ever force you to see, but I could definitely bring the light to you and hope that you open your eyes one day. And that's what my role is on immersion social dynamics. So I did this across first weekend in Melbourne, second weekend in Sydney, same client, weekend back to weekend. It's very intense. It's a it's four sessions both weekends. So it's a day session on Friday day, Friday night, Saturday day, Saturday night, and then a recap session on Sunday. So it's an entire weekend. It is absolutely grueling. (laughs) It's absolutely grueling. Like I did it during the uni semester. 
that was a big mistake. Like even getting to my age now, getting to be close to 30 years old and I have great energy levels, but I'm even I'm getting like beyond this like it's it's I've probably only do it once a year is what I'm trying to say. It's such an intense program. But for this client, I'm very dedicated towards, so I was willing to do it. And so we got in there. And there's so many things I can tell you about what happened across these two weekends. But I think the first thing I want to start with, just get some water here. The first thing I want to start with is what I saw within the venues themselves. Okay. Comparing to when I was first, compared to when I was first learning social dynamics at night, and I've spent some hours. I have spent some hours. A typical night session when I was coming up between the ages of 18 to 24, I guess you could say. What I would say is just nonstop approaching from guys towards girls. And when you're talking about inside clubs and inside bars, just relentless. And not, definitely not sober. Not sober. Very few people would ever do it sober. But once they were drunk, that's it. That's it. You would see the demons come out. And I, I just, I was just amazed, absolutely amazed <laughs> at how few direct approach, direct or indirect approaches I saw. So what, basically what I'm saying is that what I saw at uni is the same thing that was happening in these venues. That we're going to bars, going to clubs, and it was literally me and my client, and that's it. We were the only two people that inside venues in the most pop, some of the most popular venues in Sydney, in Melbourne, that were doing actual what you would call human interaction, actual man-to-woman interaction, actually sexually polarized interaction. I wrote about a lot of this in my Bullsip email article uh, uh, post this this particular program. But it's like unless – like let me say this. I saw a couple guys that would try to ride off of my interactions once they saw that I was already in. But just to see a true cold approach was just – it was almost impossible. I don't think I ever, I think I maybe saw once. I think I saw one. I think I saw one when we were in Melbourne and that was it. And that to me was just absolutely amazing because actually a lot of the time when I was going out in my early years, you had to be more concerned with other guys getting to your interaction before you did. Now it's like I'm concerned that guys aren't meeting other girls. And that does create problems. Like it does create problems when you have such a low percentage of the masculine population approaching women because then women forget what it means to be approached. And that ties back into what one of my clients said as well, which is that I've met a couple of girls at a bar and they just didn't know what to do with it. They were just, you know, for those of you that have been listening to this podcast for a long time, I had this term called fish. A fish is someone who just doesn't know what to do as a human. <laughs> they just don't quite know how to human and they need a little help, which is to say that they don't really know how to talk. They don't really know how to have a conversation. It's not that they are inherently salty and toxic. It's just that they're just a bit of a fish. You know, they're not dragons. They're just a bit of a fish. They don't just really know, not quite quieting, not quite humaning. And, you know, there's there's games to be had there. There's fun to be had there and trying to help someone to relinquish their fish-like nature and become a dragon and just get colorful, get expressive, get fun. But sometimes people are a little too far gone. And I saw that a lot. I saw a lot when I was out coaching in, in these clubs, in these venues with this particular client across two weekends back-to-back, eight sessions. What I saw was a lot of fish, a lot of girls that did not know what to do with an interaction with a 
with a attractive man putting forward attractive principles, being direct, congruent, authentic, with empathy. Just didn't know what to do with it. And then, and then you would find a woman who was so blown away, so refreshed with your masculine approach that it was almost as if, you know, let's just leave now. Let's just leave this venue now. <laughs> it was, how about this? How about this? Let me, I'll give you one particular interact. There's many that I could give you, there's, but we're going to go on all day here. It's particularly across two, two weekends. But there's one interaction, there's one for today that I want to highlight to you guys that really paints and proves what I'm saying here. On the second weekend of Emerging Social Dynamics with this client, we're in Sydney. It's in the day, day session. I think it was uh, day two. I think it was day two, the second day. And we're on up and gone up and down George Street, which is one of the main busy strips in Sydney. Tons of foot traffic, lots of people out. It's a beautiful afternoon. And I'm teaching my client in this particular section of the program, in quotes, how to have fun. Essentially, how to have a session on your own in which that you generate, stimulate your own emotional fire, right? your own emotional altitude, and what this should look like on your own. So it starts off very fast. So I'm not hand-to-hand with him. I'm not in his ear. This is when he's getting to witness it. And so the first five interactions happen like an absolute volcano or you get a bottle of ment- bottle of Coke and a whole bunch of Mentos in it and shake the shit up and it just explodes. That's the way a session should begin when you're on your own. First five interactions should happen within five minutes, no more than that. Just bang, 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 bang. Then they might, they might be very, very short. They might be very, very terrible, but they happen very quickly, which allows you to get over the cold shock of social dynamics and to just feel like, okay, I belong. I'm here now. Let's do it. And then so imagine that you've been inside a volcano and you got shot out the top up in 10,000 feet into the air. And it's a bit rough. It's a bit crazy, a bit hectic, but now you're up in the air and you got your parachute out. Pull that ripcord and then just gently float back down to the earth. That is the way that a session really should be handled as a solo practitioner of social dynamics. And that's what I'm showing my client. So we got I got through those first five interactions very, very quickly. You know, women, mostly women. I think there's maybe one guy there. And mostly women. And then we get to interaction maybe seven or eight. Seven or eight, must have been eight, because I had a couple interactions, lengthy interactions with a flight hostess from who she was flying with uh, United Emirates. Uh, actually, we had an instant date on the side of George Street. We chopped it up for a good five minutes there. Then I met a French tourist who was traveling, backpackerish, uh, down on the bench, had an interaction with her. Her friends came up. That's cool. And then... My client reconvenes, he joins me, and then interaction number eight, out of the corner of my eye, we're standing at this intersection, busy, busy, tons of people, and I see this beautiful Australian blonde girl with another woman from my long-distance vision, it's not particularly great. I can't really tell how old she is, if she's of equal attraction or not. All I know is that I saw this girl, and she was looking at me a little too long. She made a little too much eye contact, and I thought, okay, I better go speak to this woman. Now, I'm just noticing that my camera battery is about to tap out, so give me a second, I'll reset the battery. As I was saying, attractive Australian blonde girl walks by in this busy intersection. She catches my eye. She looked a little bit too long, and I'm standing there with my client. I'm like, oh, let's go. So I go run around her and what appears to be another woman. I'm at their backs now, so I can't see uh, who she is, how old she is, etc. They're walking down a relatively tight sidewalk and it's tight because of how many people. Like we are surrounded by people walking down this sidewalk. 
recognizing for those of you that have been on my coaching programs before or if you just listen to any of my content that we have two effectively we have two stops available to us if we want to stop someone in the day which is a direct stop which is running all the way around the front getting shoulder to shoulder planting and just bursting that bubble really only applicable when you have the space to do so in this situation i didn't there are people behind her to her left front and side but i can't just I can't just uh, waste my time here. I'll be walking forever if I don't take this by the bull, by the horns. So I get up to 45 degree angle. She's close. She's on my left hand shoulder and her, what appears now to be her mom is on her shoulder. So I get 45 degrees in front and I stop. I just say, excuse me, miss. I just saw you before and kind of caught your eye. I thought you looked beautiful. I had to say hi. My name's Adam. She stops. Her mum stops and they turn in to face me. So we're now, if you imagine in the sidewalk, uh, we're in the middle of the sidewalk. People are having to walk around us. Tons of people heard it, didn't give a shit. This is what a direct approach is, right? Direct and good and authentic with empathy. And she's very receptive off the bat. She's a kind of Australian country girl. Uh, her mum is quite eloquent, eloquent, and looked like she would have been quite attractive in her day as well bit older, I'd say this girl is probably 25, 24, 25. Mum was probably somewhere close to 60. And off, right off the bat, she's very, very receptive. Just like, thank you so much. And just like, I, I didn't mean to interrupt your day here with uh, whoever, this must be your older sister and playing, playing the joke there. They both laughed. She's like, I'm actually, I'm her mother. And so from this part of the interaction, her mum kind of dominates the interaction actually, which is pretty typical, which is that her mum, like in terms of, uh, the girl's name is Natalie. Uh, Nat kind of goes a bit quiet. I can't remember her mum's name, but her mum just starts asking all the questions, starts, uh, do, it's almost like the qualification of part of the interaction now that the open's done is now happening between me and the mum. It's almost as if the mum is, which is normal, is trying to say like, am, am I a dodgy guy? And I'm having chop, I'm having chop of her, I'm chopping both, both of them actually. We're talking, going back and forth. And, and actually we end up qualification finishing pretty soon. And just getting into normal shit, talking about our lives, talking about where we're from, et cetera. And as was noted to my client and agreed upon with my partner, Haley, which is that when I'm doing these coaching programs, I'm going to demonstrate every aspect of the close, sorry, every aspect of a direct interaction until the closing point in which that I will end it before closing, obviously, because I'm not trying to sexually progress these interactions, but you know, effectively showing the client that this is where the close would happen anyway. However, in this situation, didn't really go to plan because Nat was so taken with me that as things were starting to wrap up and as I was starting to wrap them up, I was like, well, you know, it's been great meeting you two. It's been a really awesome interaction, actually. Thank you so much. And I'm indicating that I'm about to wrap this up. Natalie goes, oh, well, you know, you know, how, how about another time? You know, we should meet up and you know, I'll, I'll get, your, uh, get, your, get your number or get your details. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> like okay so she's closing me i'm like all right well just for the sake of my client seeing this i'll finish this up and i'll explain to her on the back end so yeah we exchange uh instagrams and as we're closing the interaction i give her a hug and i give her mum a hug and her mum says you know I, I like you i like you because you actually hug no one hugs anymore and so her mum was very approving and uh it was a great interaction and i head back head back to my client and we break it down and this interaction in particular, the reason why I'm mentioning this one is because it kind of stood out. It stood out because even amongst the sea of people, a sea of pressure, but 
there's still a little bit of romance in this life, isn't there? There's still a little bit of people want to be approached in this life. There's still a little bit of actually old school masculine principles. See an attractive woman, go and meet her. Still, it's still there. Like it, it's still very powerful. It's still extremely powerful when done from a point of mastery. Yes, yes. When done from a point of mastery, that's a key point. Which is that if you're to go out there and try that and go, oh, Adam met this, you know, super attractive, and she was very attractive. She was no short of a very stunning, attractive girl. Uh, young woman that nothing short of true social dynamics and conscious competence at a minimum would have got that done you're in a highly pressurized situation there's tons of people around you she's with her mom and you're having to not only you know interact with her but interact with her mom and mostly win her mom over that requires an extreme level of social dynamics to be able to do that well extreme by today's standards now for me it's effortless it's normal even though i'm coaching and i'm in and i'm actually there as a coach, I'm able to let go into the experience. I have been doing it for many, many years. Yeah, that's where my competence comes from. Of course, that's why I'm in a position where I get paid to do this. But what I'm trying to point towards here is that if you want to be able to do that, don't expect to listen to this podcast and then to go out and just try that and have it go down the way it went down for me, in which the girl's actually forcing the issue and that she's trying to close you because you are not willing to close this. She doesn't. I had to explain in the end. I explained in the end, I messaged her afterwards explaining the whole situation that I'm a coach, that I have a committed partner, et cetera, and she really respected it. She really loved that I took the time to send her uh, such a message and that there was no bad blood, even though I did have to disappoint her and that we weren't going to be able to go out. Because actually she messaged me first on Instagram. She messaged me saying, hey, listen, uh, that was really awkward with my mom being there, but how about we have another go at this? Let's try around two. And that's why I had to explain to her the whole situation. Anyways... Getting back to the point, I would hope that all masculine beings possess that level of social dynamics that you can just see a girl that you're attracted to, she's with her mom, doesn't matter, go up and meet her, have a great time, have a great time. If you guys connect, progress it, you know, masculine and feminine, it's, it's really the crux, it's really the key of what masculine and feminine social dynamics is, which is that I'm a man, you're a woman, let's see if we connect. That's really what it means to enjoy the dance of sexual polarization between these two that we refer to as the masculine and feminine. It's just that, hey, listen, I am a man and you are a woman and I wanted to see if we connect. If we don't, that's totally fine. I never needed your validation. I never needed you to pretend that you were interested in this from the female point of view. You know, if you're not, in with, you're not into this, let me know. Let me know. Girls should be just as willing to be as cutthroat as men should be. Right? We should maintain these principles, high standards, high principles for both parties, both sexes. So I would hope that all men would pursue that level of social dynamics and that all men would have that, would possess it. But it it's it's something that's pretty I'm sure I'm sure the crowd listening to this particular podcast have some degree of competence in that way. But I think if I was to go and do say this presentation at uni, if I was to play this part if they would say they were to play this part of the podcast at uni to you know at a lecture with several hundred males involved i think most of them then you would survey them and say what percentage of males feel like they have the confidence to go and do what i just said i think you'd be looking at 0.5 percent i think you'd be looking at 0.5 percent if they're being truthful like if they're being honestly truthful that they could see an attractive woman on the street with her mom and go and interact to the point of carrying the interaction the whole way through And that to me is extremely sad. Extremely sad. 
And I get it. I get it. I get that it's not just because they don't know how and they don't have what does it mean to carry an open through giving her context and intent? What is qualification with T's test challenge? What is investment with, you know, chilling it down, like getting real, cooling the temperature, you know, asking the questions, asking the stories, getting to the core of who the person is, closing the interaction, progressing it through whether it's an instant date or exchanging details to get to know each other another time, not because you're just trying to transact, but because you're trying to understand who this person is, trying to foster this connection, trying to develop this human connection. I understand that if you don't have those social dynamics under belt and that's just how to carry an interaction let alone your own eye contact your own vocal tonality and projection your own body language right i get if you don't know all that stuff because that was stuff that actually it's not a recent problem that guys don't know that stuff that's stuff that has been getting lost and lost over generations but what is inexcusable is that guys don't have the desire to learn it that is what is inexcusable to me because if you don't even have the desire to want to go out and meet a woman, that's a huge problem. And it's a problem that is very pervasive. You know, there's there's so many documentaries coming out now on this whole birth gap thing, on this whole declining birth rate, in which that guys would just rather play video games. They would rather sit in their bedrooms. You got your porn, you've got your World of Warcraft, and that's it. You got your Minecraft, that's it. You've got your Call of Duty, and that's it. You audio Uber Eats. Eventually, what are we in now, 2023? Give it another 20 years. Give it another 20 years and my children will be probably living in an age where you can just buy a sex bot. You can just buy a deep fake girlfriend, a girlfriend that is a programmed artificial intelligent being that can do everything that my partner in the next room can, right? Except give you the quintessential spiritual feeling that you are with someone. And for, for my psychological degree in first year, we have to take up two electives. That's not part of our major degree, our actual course degree. And so I did philosophy in Japanese and Hajime Mashite, Adam this. Enough of the, enough, enough of the Japanese. But for those of you that know, I'm very passionate about Japanese and dominated actually, dominated in Japanese 1A, of course. Uh, but anyways, beyond that, Philosophy was my other uh, elective and I think I might not do Japanese in the next semester and just double do a major in philosophy because I'm really enjoying it. And one of the papers, one of my major papers that I wrote was on the mystery of consciousness, you know, reducing the irreducible and it's basically getting to the idea of whether science can ever explain what consciousness is. And that was the final semester paper. And I'm seeing that problem in sexual dynamics. I'm seeing the problem in how... I don't think you're going to be able to solve all of men's problems and all the problems that men seem to have with sexual connection and with the ability to go find a a partner and a mate by filling that hole, that metaphorical hole, with an artificial being. I don't think that's going to do what people think it's going to do. Yes, it may satisfy your need to eject semen. It might satisfy your need to activate the sexual brain centers that will release the biochemical hormones of oxytocin and dopamine because you feel like you're with someone and they're giving you that stimulation. But I don't think that's going to solve the phenomenological quintessential subjective nature of what it means to be human. I think what it means to be human means to experience love and love itself cannot be reduced to its biochemical hormones. Love is not its brain center activation. Love is not the concoction of oxytocin and dopamine. Love is the experience of love itself. Love is the experience. 
And so this is something I argued in my paper of the mystery of consciousness in which that if you were to somehow decode love and inject it into an artificial being, upload the neural love software, upload the, the neural concoction, that I don't think you would still be able to say that I fell in love with that thing or that thing was in love with me. Because that thing that thing essentially has no experience. An AI bot does not have experience of a subjective kind. It does not have a, what philosopher Thomas Nagel refers to as the phenomenological character of what it means to be human. It doesn't put it this way. Putting it this way, can you imagine what it's like to be a robot? No, you can't. Can you imagine what it's like to be a robot who falls in love? Even more, you can't. Why? Because it's not conscious. And I don't think we're going to, personally, personally, I agree with philosophers like Thomas Nagel, I don't think a more objective, reductive pursuit of consciousness is going to bring us closer towards it. I think that as you remove the fundamental quality of what it means to be human, to have consciousness, to be subjective beings experiencing life, to experience the red of red, to experience the love of love, to see a sunset and feel elated and to feel at peace, to feel the calm serenity as a yoke drops beneath the horizon. I don't think you are going to get closer towards that by finding out more about what a sunset is, that it is in fact the earth rotating on its axis and not the sun moving across the sky. That love is, yes, concocted of these different biochemical hormones, but that in and of itself misses something it misses the thing of what love is which is to experience it so i don't think getting back here now we've touched a little philosophy there hopefully you enjoyed that uh i will uh i'm hoping to publish that paper uh in public i might publish it on the website i might publish it in the email article I might do both it's i spent a lot of time on it you can see that i spent a lot of time on it because i think it actually ties in quite deeply to social dynamics which is that i don't think that fake love, fake sex is going to be the answer to society's problems when it comes to males that don't know how to interact with females, that don't have the desire to interact with females. And that really is the major problem that we are addressing in today's podcast is that it's not just that men and women, females and males do not have the acuity, they don't have the social skills, they don't know what it means to interact with each other anymore. It's not just that. It's that they don't desire it. That our convenient lives have enabled such a way of life in which that it doesn't need to happen anymore. You can just have petri dish babies. You can just have artificial stimulation which ticks all your boxes apparently. Apparently, but that's where the delusion is. That's where the it's not so much a mystery to me why when I step into a, a uni campus and I'm seeing all these young males that don't know how to interact with females and more so don't even want to, it's, it appears, because it's just too much work, it's too hard, it's so much easier to go do this instead, to go do the Bornhub.com instead, to go do the uh, Colonel Sanders Kentucky Fried Chicken on Uber Eats tonight instead. It's so much easier to do those things. Why would I want to have kids? Why would I want to have an exclusive monogamous partner who has her own set of emotions and I'll have to deal with that and I'll have to deal with what it means to be in a community relationship if that's the path I want to take or just being in a in, if you're going to be in open relationships, but doing it in a wholesome, in a way that is integral, in a way that is upfront, in a way that is upstanding and excellent. Why would I have to deal with all those things when I can just do the porn and the Kentucky Fried Chicken? Why, why, why? Well, because what else are you living for? Then? What is your meaning in life if you're not going to become a being of supreme excellence that one day rears another? <laughs> 
whether you want to biologically raise a child or you want to have such an impact on this world that you are effectively doing so anyway because you are putting forth such knowledge, such wisdom, you are improving the lives of others that it's almost as if you are raising children. So whether you are raising children in a metaphorical sense or you are biologically raising children, it's got to be one of those two things because if you're not doing one of those two things, what are you doing? Then you're just a leech. You're just a you're just sucking and taking from the benefit of all of our ancestors, which did the very thing that now most people are choosing not to, which is to find a mate, to become so attractive that they can go ahead, put themselves in front of an attractive member of the opposite sex, create a connection, build a life together, and then produce benefit for others, whether it be direct lineage, which for most of our ancestors, all of our ancestors has been, or Nowadays, because we don't necessarily need to do that, we have so many people as it is, but actually that's going to become a problem. It's going to be a big problem actually when you have when you have five children to every hundred grandchildren, uh, every grandparents now in Korea. That was the statistic that I recently heard on Chris Williams' podcast in which that for every hundred grandparents, there's only five grandchildren at the moment, which basically means that within a certain number of generations – there's not going to be any more Koreans. There's, they are un, they're not at a repopulation rate. They are at a depopulation rate. Anyways, moving beyond that, what we're saying here is that there's a very big problem. There's a huge problem here. And if you're not pursuing life from a perspective in which that I'm trying to give value to this world, which is it's got to happen in one of those two ways, if it's going to have any lasting meaning, your value has got to be I'm helping others or I'm helping my own to help others. It's always going to come around serving. So I'm serving others directly or I'm serving or I'm doing both. You can do both. You can serve others as I'm doing right now. Hopefully I'm helping some of you now. And of course, I'm hoping to have my own children and in which that I'm going to help to raise them so that they can help to help others. It's it's got to be this this conglomeration, concoction, this joining, this community of serving others to live the best life possible, to reduce the suffering and increase the love, peace, and joy in people's lives, whether you're going to do that through your own lineage or you're going to do that in other means. But if it's not that, I don't know what it is. If it's going to be a life of hedonistic pleasure in which that is just eat as much as I can, satisfy my sexual desires through artificial means as much as I can, it's such a sad life. And I just think it's not how fundamentally humans are wired Humans are fundamentally wired to struggle and to find meaning in the struggle. Our lives, like our DNA is not so distant, right? All of this stuff, like all this technology and all these ways of living, it's so new to us. But what's not so distant is how we know to find meaning and fulfillment, which is in community, which is in connection, which is having meaningful relationships, which is in taking care of yourself. Yeah, it's that temple I always talk about, purpose, physical, mental, social development, transcended by a need of knowing knowing who you are and you know even if you want to take a very mechanistic and take a very uh deterministic view of that maybe even if you just think that you're just a conglomeration of neurological connections and synapses and action potential action potentials firing between neurons and that's all you are but even then it's still pretty amazing and that you would still need to have reverence for that amazing billions of neurological connections happening in your brain that forms formulates who you are if that's your position on life and you don't believe in the soul, you don't believe in the spirit, that's okay. That's okay. Have reverence for that and then go do your best work. 
right? Do your best work if you think God created you. Do your best work if you think you're just a natural product of the universe. Do your best work if you think you're part of some other eternal process happening, some other spiritual threading and weaving of uh, energy happening in this world, some non-physical stuff, some some mental stuff that Rene Descartes would have said back in the day. Whatever you think it is, but surely do it with absolute reverence for what is happening now. Absolute respect, absolute honoring of what the moment is now and live the best life. You know, why dating is failing is because I think society is failing human beings in general. I think dating has failed because it is just a, and it is only a reflection of where we are more systemically as human beings, which is without purpose, without great encouragement to be our best, because apparently that's, you know, that's that type of philosophical pursuit, a a merit the the merit the meritocracy of things that meritocratical society is not to be perceived anymore right? because apparently that's just too misogynistic that's too patriarchal right to be you to be good at being you right to be good at things yeah fuck that fuck that get after the best life that you can be the best person that you can and then in doing so bring the best person that you can find into your life and create the best that you two can together if, if monogamy is the way for you. I'm not saying you have to be monogamous. I'm not saying you have to have kids. But, you know, it's a very lonely life to be on an island. It's a very lonely life to be an island of one. So I'll leave that there with you, my friends. I'll leave that there with you. And I thank you so much for listening to today's session. It's been a long time. I'm not even sure how to edit a podcast anymore. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm actually really glad that there was almost nothing that had to be edited today other than the battery. Uh, so we'll put this up and please let me know your feedback down below. I'm sure I'll run the outro afterwards, but even if I don't, uh, I'd love to hear your feedback and I'm just wishing you all so much love, peace and joy in this world. And it's good to be back. The only reason why I took such a large break was because being 30 years old, going back into uni, trying to work out my whether this is the path I want to take into psychotherapy and childhood development and that type of stuff. I'm very resolute on that now, very resolved on that now. That is definitely the direction I'm heading. And I'm still going to be a social dynamics coach. You know, I did not spend the last 10 years developing this skill set to just let it fall away. I love it. I still love working with my clients. I'm still practicing it every day of my life. I still do cold approach almost every day of my life. And uh, yes, I have a beautiful partner in Haley that's exclusive and I love our exclusive relationship together. We are eternal partners and she only helps to support me. And so I have a lot of gratitude for her as well. I have a lot of gratitude for all of you that have supported me on my journey. So that's why I'm here still with you. Make sure you are signed up on the Bolsip email because I do those way more regularly than these podcasts every second week. And during my breaks, during semesters and during the years, I'll have more email articles out. But I've been maintaining at least once every second week for the most part. So that's over there, boldoja.com, bolsip, sign it up. And I'm wishing you guys, as I said, all the love, peace and joy, and most importantly, the most incredible lives. Until next time. Ciao. And that brings me to my thanks to all of you. Thank you, first off, for just being here, your presence. But please let me know. Let me know in a comment down below where you are in your lives, how you felt about this, any commentary. I'll do my best to get back as soon as I possibly can. And also, if you did enjoy the content, please hit the thumbs up on the YouTube video. It just helps it get sent out to more people in the community. And if you feel like this would resonate with someone else, please share it to some of your close friends. If you would like to dive into one-on-one coaching, it's all available on boldojo.com. Guided meditation, 
free resources of wisdom, free weekly on my newsletter, Bowl Sip. Just chuck your email in, comes out every Friday. That's all available, all the links down below. And if you would like to support the podcast directly, you can donate anything that you wish through the PayPal link down below or on the website, balldojo.com in the podcast section. Anything that you guys give is always super appreciated. So I thank you very much. Wishing you all the love, peace, and joy in this life. <laughs>